0: Between the Chapters, a weekly podcast discussion focusing on a chapter of the book, 25 Years of EdTech, written by Martin Weller. Here's your host, Laura Pasquini. Welcome to 25 Years of Ed Tech." Between the Chapters. I'm with the author of this book, how exciting, Mr. Martin Weller. How are you, sir? Yeah, all good, thanks, yeah. How do you feel about this becoming uh, an audio book and podcast now?
1: <laughs> it's very interesting. I was thinking about this the other day when I had to read my own chapters, thinking, like, who wrote this nonsense? And I'm sure the next time I write a book, I'll be thinking much more about if someone has to read this out, what would it sound like? <laughs> it's a very <laughs> different thing, yeah. But I feel sorry for all the people who've had to read my chapter, and, I... uh, and I thank them and, and, and apologize at the same time. I love that.
0: It has been fun to read the chapters as an audio reader, but also the fantastic opportunity to interview people for the Between the Chapters podcast. That is just kind of getting out um, and identifying things that we think are really neat in the chapter, things that uh, maybe aren't in the chapter, but kind of relate to as the years go on. And I just love the starting of this book before the introduction, your year zero cartoons, like we've just invented online learning in all the years, Do you think we do that every year? (laughs)
1: Pretty much. Well, it's interesting to reflect upon that. um, I wrote the book in 2018, and since then, things have happened again. And I've been amazed this year, like with the online pivot, just how many people are, like, coming up with exactly the same arguments against online learning that I was hearing back in 1999. My God, are we still doing this? Are we still having these discussions? It's like, yeah. so it's strange some ways that why it doesn't move on you know despite all, all of the, the things I list in the book
0: so what made you kind of think about this compilation so yeah you go from 1994 onward each year like what kind of I guess inspired this writing of this open book which I think is fantastic to draw on some of these technologies but what what about EdTech in the 25 years really stood out to you as an interesting project
1: um but it started out just as a kind of a, a side thing. So uh, I'm the president of the, I was the president of the Association for Learning Technology ALT in the UK. And in uh, 2018, they were celebrating their 25th year. So I said, oh, why don't I write a blog post about 25 years of edtech? You know, it's like one of those those foolish things you say that you just start doing. <laughs> and I started doing it. It was okay. And then you, by the time you get to about year 12, 13, you think, oh God, I've got to keep going with this now. But, um, but people seemed to quite like it. And by the time I got to the end of it, it was an interesting process to go through and it made me kind of reflect on certain things as well. Um, and I was at the alt conference and all three of the keynotes mentioned the series and said, you should turn it into a book, Martin. So it seemed like a good idea. Um, and it was good to kind of then, so I had the kind of blog series to go from, but then being able to explore each of those technologies in a bit more depth, but also try and pull out some of the themes, I think, over a kind of longer period it was a much more useful thing to do then. So that was the kind of the practical thing about why it got started.
0: Yeah. The blog post seemed to be a good jumping off point for you, but you get into it and kind of touch on these topics. How did you identify like which technology uh, you're going to talk about or the thing about that year um, you're going to mention? Because I was going through some of these and I was like, well, this isn't mentioned or that's not included or where's this? And, I might say podcast is one of them, but uh, yeah, like where where do these fit in and how did you decide?
1: Uh, pretty randomly, let's be honest. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I confess up front, you know, when I do a presentation about this, I'll say you're going to hate me at the end of this because it's like those hundred best film lists. You're just like, how can you not have included my favorite film on this? So, it's, like it's always going to miss things out. Um, and I think, in some ways, it's it's obviously biased by my experience, and um, and so also by my location as well. Some things that I think are important maybe in the UK aren't so much elsewhere. Um, and so I tried to sort of choose a number, that, and I I went on what when I thought they became significant rather than when they were invented. And that that gives me a bit of leeway then, because like I say, well, to me it was significant then. It's so. like, but. <laughs> exactly which year to put them in became difficult sometimes i had like three of them vying for the same year it's like well i'll stretch these out a bit but yeah there, there are lots of not in there when I, went back, I probably should be right i should have mentioned podcast i should have mentioned learning design or whatever all these things that you could have mentioned but um yeah i'm, I'm sure everyone could do their own 25 years of tech, and it'd all be completely different
0: i think um what's neat about these between the chapter episodes we do touch on these other things that kind of spin out like i was talking about videos and we started talking about well zoom's obviously not part of it or web conferencing but that is a piece of it in a way it was built on the foundation of that chapter or um as we talked about the web and the internet like what how you framed that was just so interesting so i think you're right and i was like looking at initially i'm like well, why would he have web 2.0 and social media and Twitter? And like, how are they not connected? So it was interesting to see how you pieced apart these little things when it comes to education and where we play in those spaces as academics, as instructional designers, as educators, administrators in, um, in learning, like, what does that really mean? And so I I do think, um, reading through it, the chapters, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Wow, it was so eloquent how he eloquent how he wrote this. Now I have to read it out loud in his accent. No, I haven't been doing that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I want everyone to read it in an Essex accent.
0: But yeah, no, <laughs> I think it's.
1: Like, I, I think anyone reading this book will find some chapters that they sort of relate to, but also there might be there be some they think are missing. In that, but I think in many ways it was we talked about the kind of motivation for writing. I think in many ways it's not so much the actual individual technologies that matter, but rather try and. To map this history of recent innovation, I think, and, and I think the 25 years period, although it's kind of a nice number, it was also it's all really hit that the, the mid 90s was when the you know, the web and the internet started to become much more mainstream. So it's when educational technology really became in some way synonymous with the internet. Um, and I think you know, as I set out in the start, the kind of motivations for it, and part of it is that kind of year zero thing you, you, that you mentioned at the start, you know. Start, how many times, you know, do we see these articles about, you know, so-and-so is doing something amazingly new online. You think, no, we've done this, or it's not that new, or, you know, uh, there's the only other day I saw like, Google are going to reinvent universities. Oh, again, are we still doing this? You know, it's like, and so, like, you know, I'm not saying you know, that everything's been done, nothing can be done before, but I think it's that there's a tendency to ignore all of the recent history and not to learn from it. So I wanted to kind of pull together at least some of that history so we can have, have a shared version of it but I think you know the actual technologies in some ways don't matter it's just to demonstrate the principle that there is this history there and whatever you're thinking about there'll probably be something you can go back and look at but also to try and counter that narrative we often see coming from one of a better phrase kind of Silicon Valley the idea that they're inventing it and they need to come in because universities are too slow to adapt they, they can't they need people from outside to come and change it for them and I wanted to kind of demonstrate a, a history of innovation and exploration within universities as well.
0: Yeah I, I do like that uh, as a historian in my background I, I think you said that right like the birth myth isn't really actually what happens when it goes applies to learning and I also think your mapping of it offers um, contextualization and where it fits and you have like the same sort of spirit as I do and as being like kind of an archivist documentarist like you write about things as they go but you also reflect back and that's what i think this book largely does and you said it it's personal it's objective and that's great and what i hope to talk about between the chapters are people's perspectives and i've just reflected with a couple of folks so far i'm early on recording these episodes but someone's perspective of the web looked different in the u.s than it does in the uk than it does in canada where i grew up and then other parts of the world which I think it's just so fascinating that they'll get a lens and a piece of where you were at and what was happening um, from a slice of where it was in time. So I like that idea.
1: I'm looking forward to hearing the podcasts. And, oh and yeah. We, tr- we trash talk you a little bit. How you yeah. not have mentioned this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to develop a nice thick skin ready to go now.
0: <laughs> well, we do in a couple episodes, we have questions um, and this might be like, I don't know, maybe you like, I'm happy to capture some of these. Um, just like questions I would ask Martin or anyone out loud, and so really, it's throwing it back to the community in a way. Like you don't have to have the answers, Martin. You can go. Let's pose that to other people in, in ed tech. And that's the kind of neat thing about this is you provide um, a ground to start the conversation. And what do you want people to kind of, you know, do with that? So you provide the basis to share you're okay you're drawing out some themes and you like the idea of people adding to the work so this is written as a creative common open license book uh, what would you hope to see come out of some of these chapters you've written
1: i think um you know exactly that people sort of exploring their own history and, and add into it and you know alternative versions of 25 years or 15 years or whatever it is and i think um I mentioned at the start of the book, in some ways the choosing a technology per year um is a useful approach, but it's also a flawed approach. I think you know it doesn't pull out some of these longer themes, you know, that we might want to address things like, you know, academic labour, digital identity, those kind of things. It's almost like they run through all of it. So you can almost have like a, a twenty-five years of accessibility, twenty-five years of you know digital identity. I think you can imagine different themes that sort of run through it, or you know, um uh, feminism and in ed tech or those kind of issues I think so in some ways, it's the kind of, my one is like the, the kind of very generic base one. I think and actually there might be more interesting branches that, that come off from that, I think.
0: I like the idea of that this is a springboard and people could take it and think about, yeah, like it doesn't have to be about a tool. It could be about a practice, a pedagogical practice, or it could be about mm-hmm. um, a way of knowing that some people might want to apply like theory and whatnot and frame it in different ways, like, like where ed tech has shifted around. Um, it is funny to read some chapters like the bulletin board and not think about current threaded discussions we have these days and what the community square looks like these days online and how some of those foundational things back in the mid 90s really do stand this test of time and, and practice so I, I, that's what I saw threaded through a lot of these um, it doesn't matter the tool or the naming of a tool or a product or whatever it is uh, platform but it really is a common theme of how it's been built. I like how you kind of sequence through that and um, you're getting some high compliments. So we're not just critiquing here. We're, we're giving you some high praise for these things too. So feel good about that.
1: It was interesting. You, you mentioned some of that stuff like bulletin board systems and wikis and stuff. And that. I think um, it was interesting to go back and look at those kind of early papers and that kind of stuff. And I think one of the things that stood out for me was that they really challenged the way we thought about education and knowledge construction and so then people were really excited for example about hypertext you know and kind of nonlinear text were really a, a thing that people thought you know, how do we how will we construct knowledge like this and how do we teach what's the most effective way and I, sometimes i think we've lost some of that kind of experimental edge partly because i think because the internet is so prevalent now we almost don't don't notice it it's kind of there i think when whereas when it was new it really made educators think, oh, what can we do differently with this? So it was interesting to see some of that kind of early optimism and kind of really sort of thinking about what it meant for education in a way that perhaps we don't do so much now.
0: Yeah, that that's come out in some early chapters as we reflect on our first times online, um, our first times experimenting with things. Like when it was new, we almost became evangelists for this type of technology and quite optimists, saying this is amazing without noticing some yeah. of the flaws or the potentials for um, challenges we might face and barriers, blockades, like harmful activities that might happen on these spaces. So um, it's been something that we were very hopeful for. And I don't think I, I haven't lost all my hope. I'm a little more jaded these days, but like, looking back even just 10 years ago things look different in some of these spaces and i i it's something that you talk about and you start addressing in some of the later chapters like i'm thinking about the lms the MOOCs, twitter and social media um did you think we'd be at the place we are now in in
1: retrospect (laughs) no no i was one of those kind of early evangelists like why can't everyone get online it's like oh everyone has come online and now look what's happening <laughs> so I think you know um when I do a pre- when I do presentations about this I sort of and uh, this one I think that perhaps I should have split the book up it's always, on reflection I thought this I tend to sort of divide it into three phases as a kind of the optimistic phase then the mainstreaming phase and then the pessimistic phase I think you know and I think that's kind of where we are now and I, you know I think some of the things we might have predicted, like we knew when the web came along that anyone could publish anything, you know, and that would include people publishing offensive things in the same, and particularly with blogs and those kind of things. But I think things that were difficult to predict would be like aggressive algorithms that would kind of feed this material to people and, and that kind of loss of context that people would have around it. So um, but there we are. I think that's kind of, that, that shows that that's a good kind of lesson for us as we go forward to kind of be more mindful of the kind of potential downsides to these things and and you know and our role as educators is to kind of view them critically I think and, and engage with them in in cautious and appropriate manners.
0: Yeah I, and I do think you offer that even in this introduction you say like it doesn't have to be the ones that are developing or the people that have the capitalism that's designing these things um, to be the last say especially when it comes to learning in ed tech spaces I do think there's value in putting us in there as practitioners as researchers as instructors and faculty i think um that is a bit of a call out to push back on like letting the systems and platforms define how we use them without having to say on like surveillance technology or metrics and data and learning um, so there's some things on that that i like that you you do in a way you don't actually break them into those three phases but you do give a cautionary tale in some of the later chapters of um, as you talk about AI and um, just learning analytics, like I think there are some awareness that you bring about because I will say his book is not just about his blog post. He has lots of great citations because Martin is an academic by heart. And, and it's good that you pointed these out. Proper
1: references in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. I've had to read some of those. I know.
1: That's one thing I did learn. Make sure you know how to pronounce people's names if you're going to include them in a reference that's going to be an audio book <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but... Duly noted, I do think,
0: giving um people a place at the table that that innovation table in ed tech is really important and i think you draw that out in these chapters um and you in making them aware that there is relevance for people there and i think there are um whether it's in higher ed or in industry or anything else related to the building of these spaces to learn i think that's something um, I like that you recognize that it's up to uh, yes, the universities and colleges, but also those of us that work in industry or work with industry products, like just push back and have a say in that.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think as educators, there's, there's no point just saying all oh, this stuff's really bad. We're going to ignore it because, you know, it's a fundamental part of society now. So like we have to kind of engage with it somehow, whether that's helping people build the kind of critical skills, the kind of, uh, Mike Caulfield, uh, four steps approach, those kind of things, or think critically, or conduct research in how this stuff does impact what people do. So I think there's a, a kind of role for us there as educators. I think as EdTech people also to kind of use it uh, for appropriate purposes. I think it's easy to sometimes just to dismiss all of it as horrible and nasty. but You know, we've seen with the the, re- the pandemic and the online pivot. You know, actually it's become really useful as a means to kind of help people carry on educating and and, and not lose out.
0: Yeah, I like that you bring that up with COVID um, and our, our switch to everyone going remote and distance learning online. I'd like to see the cartoon image of online learning now um, at the beginning of your book. It'd, it'd be like hair pulling out. What are some things that you're seeing in this last year? It feels like five years. In 2020, what have you noticed in the last few months uh, with COVID-19 coming down and us moving almost everything virtually?
1: Yeah, yeah and I think it's been interesting coming to come see everyone on shift online and then people sort of rediscovering lots of things um once again and i think in some ways it makes the case for uh, at least some knowledge of history um person and so like for instance some of the examples i give are things like i saw something the other day promoting hey because we've seen that exams are really bad and you know they they're a point of weakness in the system we get everyone together why don't we move away from exams and we can use blockchain for for assessment it's like and i want but well, why why blockchain it's like so all those things that you say blockchain can do, we could already do through e-portfolios. So you should at least be able to ask the question, what does blockchain do that e-portfolios couldn't do? And how will your blockchain method overcome some of the problems that were around e-portfolios? So I think just those type of examples show that if you don't know what's gone before, you can easily sort of be boozled by, hey, this thing's new, you know, and I think... um, Similarly people have started to think, okay, now that everyone's online, why are we all creating online content? Why don't we create shared content between all the universities? Like, aha, let me tell you about learning objects,
0: Maybe maybe
1: that yeah. is a good idea. <laughs> maybe that is a good idea, but you'll need to know why learning objects didn't really take off in the way we predicted, you know. So I can, and so just don't repeat those mistakes, you know? So I think you can go through lots of those kind of technologies and think about what we can learn from them in, in, in the the pivot now. And I think, that, again, a lot of it is, um, you know, although I sort of have criticisms with the VLE, LMS, you know, it's like, actually, most universities have got one of these. It's like, you don't need some fancy new system. You know, you've got a system there. What you need is uh, investment in staff and to think about how you can use these things effectively and, and teach courses much more creatively.
0: Yeah, I will say you, you building out, like, tw- 2002 is the learning management system. Like, that's your hub for where you'd be kind of sharing, putting learning objects designed in a different way, and also video. So your your video chapter made me think of how people are relying so much on um, synchronous conversations versus asynchronicity could be developed with open educational resources, open textbooks, plus a better learning object that could be created. And we don't need to jump to the new next thing, because we have some of these foundational things that have been around for like, 20 years almost um what have you yeah. been recommending for folks as they kind of probably turn to you a little bit and go huh what am i doing or where where should we be or what should we focusing on
1: yeah i think it's interesting like so i think um it's interesting you mentioned the the video chapter i think that one probably hasn't aged as well because you now we've all switched to zoom and that and that uh, i should have been talking more about synchronous lectures those kind of things but i think um it's exactly that so things like understand what online learning can give you and don't try and replicate that face-to-face model. And it's been amazing to see kind of just how much the lecture is just such a fundamental part of higher education. It's like, how will we deliver our lectures online? It's like, you don't have to, you can move away from lectures. You can be asynchronous you, know, you can develop content. You can, you, know, you can use OER to build up some of that stuff. You can have all these kind of different activities. It's It's interesting kind of to see in some ways kind of how, where did people are the idea of, of of the lecture, the kind of synchronous lecture and uh, seminar as a tool? Um, so I think you know that would be it would be. I understand that in in the pivot and the kind of emergency change. It's difficult to learn all this stuff in one go, but I think you know to to learn to kind of take advantage of the things that 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 the internet can give you. And I think for for learners, in particular, you know, it's like those. Things that, so again, you know, why are we recreating exams with horrible proctoring software when you could be doing different types of assessment? You know that that really take advantage of being online.
0: Yeah, and I will say, like, I should call out your title for the introduction is the historical amnesia of ed tech. So we're quick to forget and say that we're reinventing again, and that's the thread throughout. Um, and you brought up a couple other points. It's not necessarily the tool, but it's the maybe the support. It's the infrastructure at your institution. It's the training needed. It's the staffing needed um, for the hours and time it takes to do some of this really well. Like, I didn't learn this overnight. I still learn. Like, And it's been 15 plus years for me. And I think... Um, you're right like your snapshot gives people an idea of spaces they could still consider and what we've done in the past is relevant for what we're gonna do for moving forwards and looking at this list of chapters was it, was there one that was super easy for you to write right away like i like i was like oh what can i write right away just looking at this list like what did you do it in any order or did you go year by year
1: yeah, yeah, I started you know, at the start and went forward each time, uh, but I, I did draw up a list for myself what I was going to do in each year. But I, I shuffled a few around. I, th- I think the web was an easy one to write. I think in some ways the the web sort of really forms the foundation for all of this, and not just in terms of the technology, but in terms of what it means for society. That kind of whole democratization of the publishing process and broadcast process. In, in many ways, we're still struggling with that that issue now that's kind of fundamental to everything that we're doing you know both good and bad and so I think that that kind of chapter fell out quite easily I think you know um, when you sort of lived through it um so you know I think the VLE chapter was reasonably easy because I've I've been through that process enough you know so um so some of them were um I think kind of more outside of my comfort zone you know it's like a uh, so I went off on a bit of a riff. And I think that the last chapter, the kind of technical dystopia, I think there are people who are much better writers about that than I am. you know. And I quote a few of them in that chapter. But yeah, I wanted to kind of at least kind of, kind of register that, I think.
0: Yeah, but I'm glad you did bring up other things that we should consider, whether it's AI or blockchain or... The, the dystopian considerations we need to think about because it would be, I think you have highlighted some ups and downs and some cautionary tales um, that that's part of it is the future. So this stopped in 2018. Um, what would you be writing in 2019 or 2020? Have you thought about that? Have <laughs> you were to add yeah, on to this? So,
1: so I'm going to carry on on my blog, 25 years of edtech um, going over more than 25 years. So last year, 2019's entry was, micro-credentials I thought they were the sort of thing that everyone was talking about last year at conferences and uh, this year wouldn't be a difficult one it would be the online pivot this year wouldn't it I guess so that'd be the, the, the entry this year
0: are you going to keep going do you think each year as as you go through
1: I think so you know <laughs> until I die just keep going plug it out. <laughs> <laughs> the fiftieth year, five years of Red Tech, you know.
0: I cannot wait till we're on our rocking chairs on a porch talking about <laughs> the East <Mark. laughs> right. By then, we'll just be able to hologram <laughs> over to each other's <laughs> house. <laughs> um, well, well, we could just like augment reality or virtual reality in to each other and uh, sit on rocking chairs by the sea. I'm into that. Okay, that's good. Um,
1: with our dogs,
0: yeah, with our dogs, yeah. Absolutely. I'm grateful for your willingness for us to explore these further in the podcast um, between the chapters. And I'm excited to hear what people are saying about this. And we're encouraging people to dialogue with you, with us. Um, what are some of the learning things you've gotten? Because you've gotten feedback about this already. It's been out for a little while. Uh, what are some things you've learned about the book so far and how it's been received?
1: Um, generally, I think it's been received well. I think sometimes it's if people are really in the ed tech field, it's a bit simplistic, I think, for them. I think it was aimed at a kind of more general audience, I think. Um, Sometimes people have said, why haven't you mentioned this? And I'm gone. yes, I should have mentioned that. But also, (laughs) I think it's interesting to reflect on the kind of writing process, you know, because I was writing it in 2018. um, And although this isn't an excuse, it sounds like an excuse. um, And I sort of wrote (laughs) it more or less over a two-week kind of writing retreat, just sort of, you know, getting through this stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's only when you should come back Yeah I hadn't read that when I wrote the book and probably if I was writing it now, I'd include that reference I would expand upon this you know so bits it's always painful to go back and look at your own stuff you think oh, I've obviously missed this out and some people have pointed to me at some things I think but uh, but in general I think you know it, it achieves its aim I think you know, of that kind of accessible readable intro to this stuff
0: yeah I do think it's a good uh, a good piece to pass on to multiple audiences and yeah a, a tech friends will read it and know most of these things, but I do think expanding it so people have a bigger understanding of how wow. people work in learning technologies is really critical. so thank you for like opening that to other audiences and hey, it's a book, it's like not a live living wiki document, and it's gonna have things that are, are gonna change and evolve and update, and that's okay. I have to tell myself that I as do. well, but I need your um pro tips for writing in a 2 week period what did you do to like lock down and motivate yourself and get yourself in a writing groove
1: right okay well, well first of all, ha have a blog series that you can start from so, by the time i pulled that into a document i sort of had like 20,000 words even though i reworked them all you know at least you you're not starting from scratch yeah take yourself off to a remote cottage in cornwall in the middle of a really big storm where no one can move and you can't go out the house with your dog and just right away that's that's the tip.
0: isolation and a good cottage okay i'm going to work on that um and then uh what are things that uh you would like people reading this um like what are questions or things you want to pose to people reading this uh as they go through this and what do you want them to think about
1: i think you know for them if, they've, if they're in this area to think oh uh, which technology would they put in that year or where would they put this one and if they would include the same technology you know um, how it reflects in their context what their experience of it is so think of it very much as a kind of a springboard i think for those kind of things Um, and yeah uh, or any other technologies i think particularly in i'd love to hear in kind of in different contexts as well and actually where we live this was a really big technology for a while or something which I, i may not know about or may have missed
0: yeah, I do like the different lenses of like geographically where we sit, and maybe in different kinds of types of institutions or organizations we're from. Like, oh, that wasn't really relevant, but we did do these things. So I, I'm curious to see what people are learning from this as well. Um, well, is there anything else about the book I haven't asked you that you'd like to mention? Uh, any cautionary things I shouldn't be bantering or debating about in this book? Uh, things
1: like that. Not. Say thanks to Athabasca Press for for going with the idea, you know, and making it open license. And I think it's it's always interesting the fact that it's an open book meant that we could do the uh, audio version and the podcast version, and you can do all these other things around it. It's kind of it's a good example of the benefits of publishing uh, openly. I think. Yeah, so and it just reaches more people. It, it stands up as a, as a model in itself, I think. Which uh, absolutely, yeah.
0: Hey, I'm about access and sharing and sharing knowledge and I'm, I'm pre- grateful for you uh, producing this book, coming on this podcast, maybe coming on other episodes, we'll see, and uh, talking and having discussions because I think people um, do see it as like in conversation with the community, um, both in inside and outside of tech. And it's hopefully going to be a great starting point for more uh, banter, chat, questions, thinking, and critical conversations that we really need to have. So thank you, Barton.
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to do these podcasts. I've been flattered, stroked, embarrassed that people are spending time <laughs> <laughs> like reading the book, doing podcasts. So That's like, right. yeah, great. You've been listening to Between the Chapters with your host, Laura Pisquini. For more information or to subscribe to Between the Chapters and 25
0: Years of Ed Tech, visit 25years.opened.ca.